Today on Let Me Be Frank, His Excellency is joined by a special guest. In 1993, Pope St. John Paul II founded a lay-led pontifical organization called CAPP, C-A-P-P, to spread the knowledge and encourage the practice of Catholic social teaching. And that's a big job. On Let Me Be Frank today, Bishop Caggiano is joined by Bob Nalawajek, the Executive Vice President of CAP USA, and they will talk about Catholic social teaching. So keep your radio right here on the AM dial at 1350 and now on the FM dial at 103.9 or right on your phone with the Veritas app. And if you don't yet have the app, download it at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or go to veritascatholic.com. We're very grateful, as always, to Foundations in Faith for sponsoring Let Me Be Frank. During the Advent season, we hold up a light to the St. Francis Xavier Fund for Missionary Parishes. This fund strives to alleviate the financial burdens of urban churches that exhibit strong leadership and outstanding missionary outreach. This partnership empowers pastors to focus on ministries instead of issues with their facilities. To support this essential work, please visit foundationsinfaith.org to donate. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport, from seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad. The impact is meaningful. All right, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, nice to be with you, my friend. We're getting close to Christmas. Yay! <laughs> Yo, you're telling me. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Excellency. And I just want to say, we have a, a special guest on today, and it seems like you know some really incredible people. <laughs> that well, you're we one of them, but keep going. <laughs> uh, today, today uh, we are joined by Bob Nalawajic. And Bob is just so incredibly accomplished. I couldn't even uh, run through all of the things that uh, he's done in his life. But I'll just try to wrap it up. You know, in his career, he's played key roles with um, Pfizer all around the world. He helped reorganize their global pharmaceutical business. Uh, He's been a successful venture capitalist and entrepreneur. And he's parlayed his expertise into uh, consulting with several companies as well. And Bob is uh, here with us today representing CAP USA, where he's the executive vice president and also a member of the board of CAP at the Vatican. And Bob mm-hmm. is a Knight of Malta. He's a member of Legatus. He's had some key roles uh, here, helping the Diocese of Bridgeport in several ways. And back in 2015, Pope Francis named Bob a Knight Commander of the Papal Order of St. Gregory the Great. And gosh, what a pleasure and an honor it is to have you with us today, Bob Nalawajic. Well, thank you. Actually, it's my honor to be here. Thank you. And Bob, I mean, you and I have worked closely together for many years. So I have had the great privilege of getting to know you very personally. And I am also delighted that you're part of the podcast because you're going to help us to understand CAP USA and the vision of Pope John Paul in creating it and what every Catholic should know about the work of CAP, right? Because if there's a person alive who knows this, it's you. Ah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, so let's start from the beginning. Uh, CAP USA, 
what what is it? Ah, Cap USA. Uh, actually, well, Cap USA is a vehicle. Uh, it's a vehicle for the promotion of Catholic social teaching, its knowledge and its practice. Um, and it's unique, actually, in church history. It's kind of a uh, an interesting organization. Leave it to our founder, St. John Paul II, to, to really do some different things. Uh, so number one, uh, we're the only, and first and only, I think, we've been able to sort out the only now, but we, we're trying to sort out the first, uh, lay organization that exists with uh, uh, juridical personhood. I love that term. Uh, under canon law, in the church and also under civil law at the Vatican. We're a lay organization with a, uh, any 501c3 in the U.S. would recognize it. It's a self-perpetuating lay board in the Vatican, but also coming under church canon law and, and as I said, uh, Vatican civil law uh, established by John Paul II to promote the knowledge and practice of Catholic social teaching. And who's the audience Cap, of Cap USA? Understand, no, the audience is lay Catholic leaders. Uh, mm -hmm. John Paul established CAP two years after he wrote Centesimus Annos, which is a, uh, one of his signature documents, I think. Uh, it's the 100th anniversary of Rerum Novarum, updating and, and taking Catholic social teaching forward. And two years after he, he published that document, he created CAP uh, as a lay organization to do what we're charged to do, which is to implement that 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 teaching and that doctrine in society. Mm -hmm. But there's an international umbrella for CAP, is there not, Bob? So how does the USA CAP fit with that? Got it. Uh, CAP USA is an affiliate of the Vatican organization. There's there's one CAP throughout the world. It's there's only one mm -hmm. organization. It's the Fondazione Centesimus Annus Pro Pontifice. And uh, grow up, growing up in Buffalo, I can tell you, it took me about a year to learn how to say that. And I'm not sure I'm saying <laughs> it right yet. Uh, but, but he set us up as a Vatican organization. Uh, and the membership, one's a member of that, the Vatican organization. However, in some countries around the world, Canada, uh, the U.S., Germany, for example, uh, local laws require us to set up a separate organization. So we have a CAP USA. Uh, which is a 501c3 uh, here in the U.S., uh, with the added distinction from the IRS and the Treasury Department of being an integrated auxiliary of the church, uh, meaning we have the same status legally in this country as as, as the diocese does or any, any Catholic organization <laughs> that doesn't come under the Red Book. Uh, so our affiliation is we're all members of one organization, but each chapter in different countries operates uh, with the charisms and the necessities required by the culture that we're operating in. So we're different mm -hmm. in that regard, but we're all one under the Vatican umbrella. So here in the United States, um, you and I actually will be gathering for dinner for our annual meeting in, I guess, in a couple of days, right? Wednesday, um, Wednesday. Yes, yep. And t t talk to us what about Cardinal Tobin's role in, the, uh, in CAP USA. Great. Every every chapter, every national chapter uh, is required to have what's, uh, I love the terms they use. It's a national ecclesiastical counselor uh, who's actually appointed by the Vatican. Uh, and in, in our case, it's Cardinal Tobin, uh, who was appointed by Pope Francis uh, about three years ago. Uh, and, and 
each chapter can also have assistant national ecclesiastical counselors, which, which as you know, that's the role that you, you fill for us uh, brilliantly and with gratitude, by the way, for doing it. Uh, and, and then each chapter, local chapter, for example, in Washington and Fairfield County, wherever we have local branches, also has an ecclesiastical counselor. And that, that person is also approved by Cardinal Tobin, yourself, and, and the Vatican. So there's a, it's a very close tie between what we do uh, in each local organization and, and the Vatican. I'm not you know, sure if that we, helps or hurts us. <laughs> well, let's talk about it then. <laughs> so you and I, I remember before COVID, you know, I think eventually this is going to be like, life before COVID, life after COVID or during COVID. But before COVID, um, I had the, the privilege of attending the, um, the CAP gathering in Rome. And that, yes. was, that was tremendous. I mean, we talk about some high-powered individuals and some really spectacular presentations. Could you give our, our listeners a kind of a, the vignette, uh, a feel for what that, what those experiences are like when we go to the Vatican, what those annual gatherings are like. Sure, sure. They're, they're, they're as you as you pointed out, they're very, very special. Uh, Cap uh, reports to the Holy Father. Uh, we're founded by the Holy Father, and we're 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 blessed to to be his organization. That's the pro pontifice part of the title. Uh, so when we when we operate at the Vatican, we really because of because of the Vatican's draw and the understanding of, of of that relationship, we draw on some phenomenal phenomenal people who can come and help us address for the Holy Father uh, key issues uh, that the Church identifies as needing addressing through Catholic mm-hmm. social teaching. Uh, some just some examples: uh, Michelle Camdesus, who's an ex head of the IMF, uh, is a member of CAP. Uh, at the Vatican. Uh, we have ex-prime ministers of European countries as members of the Vatican. We're able to call upon some really brilliant people, as we did here in, in the U.S. in September. Uh, we were able to get the Nobel laureate in economics, for example, mm-hmm. to help us address Pope Francis's question about inclusion and health care, uh, which you gave a brilliant talk to uh, in setting up uh, Angus Deaton, the, uh, the Nobel laureate. Uh, this last conference we just had in, in, in the Vatican this past October, which I was uh, privileged to moderate the first session. It's, it's my, it was my month for Nobel laureates. Uh, we had Angus Deaton in September, and mm-hmm. uh, the mod- on the panel with us in, uh, in October uh, was a man, uh, Professor Mourou, a Frenchman who has a Nobel Prize in physics. And he was helping address what can science contribute to the concept of solidarity and human development. Uh, But those are the kinds of people we're able to pull together because we're a Vatican organization, I think, and and the respect and the opportunity that provides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the great assets CAP has, which I think our readers would very much be interested in, are the resources it provides, right? Teaching the average person who may have very little or no knowledge of, of the church's social teachings, what is available online. And I must confess, just the website and the resources are very impressive. So why don't you fill us in on what the average person sure. could u- utilize? Mm-hmm. Sure, thank you, thank you. Here in the U.S., we've taken uh, a number of approaches of how to, to, to present the charism. Uh, 
as you know, we have international conferences. We've had four here, uh, which bring together a very interesting group of people as well. But we realize that the gospel needs to be spread in the digital space. And we've launched uh, a website and a social media program to try and engage American leaders about Catholic social teaching. Uh, towards that end, it's a new initiative for us. I'll say new, it's two years old, ending uh, in December. It'll be two years. Uh, and it's the CAP USA website is totally devoted to Catholic social teaching, not CAP. We're trying to present the beauty of the church's teaching in, in all its splendor uh, and not highlight CAP as an organization. The Vatican website does that. Uh, our website simply is trying to present Catholic social teaching. So the thing that we as lay people are charged to form our conscience on can be explained easily, hopefully uh, quickly and beautifully, because I think some of the uh, er Bishop Barron talks about Aristotle and St. Thomas uh, combining the concepts of truth and beauty. Uh, and they're being very connected. And with our website, we try to copy that concept, uh, truth and beauty, the truth of Catholic social teaching matched hopefully by the beauty of the site and what's being represented by the developers. So we're trying to bring that together to make accessing this beautiful teaching uh, easy. Yeah, I, I, well, I think it, the CAP has done a tremendous job because the website, for anyone who is listening, um, the website is beautifully done. The explanations are very clear, very accessible, and quite frankly, in some sense, almost pragmatic, that when you read it, you, you understand why this is important and the implications for our life, right? Either our societal structure, our economic systems, the way we interact with one another, the whole fabric of our society. I mean, I, I would recommend to anyone who's listening to go and avail themselves all right, to visit the website, and because you'll fall in love with it, really. I, I think it's it's brilliantly oh, done. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for that plug. It's uh, capp-usa.org. Uh, yeah. So make sure it's a dash uh, .org. And, and really, we're trying to implement uh, uh, the message we have from our founder through Pope Benedict, through Pope Francis, I think is that today's Catholics are faced with distinct challenges. And the website is helping to hopefully address that. Uh, in an, I, I have to say, in a progressively antagonistic and secular culture, I think we're called upon as lay Catholics to implement the church's deep and, and exquisite social teaching. Um, and I, I think we not only have an, to have an understanding and steadfast belief in the truth, I think we have to be prepared to communicate it in the public square in an informed, mm -hmm. correct, and compelling way. Uh, I think from debates what on issues of life, human dignity, war, migration, uh, health care, the proper role of government, uh, these are pressing needs becoming ever more apparent. And, and Catholic social teaching is the church's gift to us of how to address those. And that's what we're trying to do through the website, through the talks that we do, through our our, our, our training programs. We just finished a one-week program in Washington, uh, where uh, our 13th, actually, uh, where we pitch Catholic social teaching in a one-week retreat format, basically forming uh, diocesan staff and priests and seminarians. Uh, and in fact, uh, by the way, we, we have our first bishop who was a graduate, uh, the new Bishop of Buffalo, graduated from our first course, Bishop Fisher. 
Uh, oh, is that so, right? Yes, yes. And he was a good friend of the program after attending it. So uh, our, our graduates range from uh, now a bishop uh, to we, we've also invited uh, the African Bishops Conference to send people. And we've had priests through Africa, which we underwrite uh, to come to the program. Yeah. So we no, have that is, program it's, it's in Washington. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, please. What else do you have besides the program in Washington? Uh, well, the conferences here that we run are key. And again, we're able to bring together some interesting people. Uh, we had the first Haitian cardinal uh, come to our first conference in 2014. Uh, and, and he was paired up with a discussion uh, with General Dallaire, who was the UN commander during the Hutu and Tutsi uh, genocide. Uh, wow. And they talked about, they, it, was, it was a moving. We've had the Archbishop of Aleppo, the Marianite Archbishop, who, who, who talked about what was happening to his flock in Aleppo. And, 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 and a beautiful story from him uh, when his first his house was destroyed and then his church was destroyed. Uh, half of his flock left Aleppo. And he shared with us, he said, our church is ancient. It's mentioned as being started in the New Testament under Paul, the church in Aleppo. He said, I'm not going to be the bishop that leaves and gave the moving testimony mm-hmm. uh, to, to, U, to, an, to a U.S. audience and trying to understand uh, the needs globally. Uh, we've had a program on reducing hunger, specifically Pope Francis has called for new approaches where we were able to bring in FAO and UN and uh, world experts in, 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 in agriculture. Uh, I, I, I'll stop because I can just keep kind of going on and on. And no, that. no, but you know what, Bob? Uh, it's fascinating. No, no, please just give us a few more examples because I, it gives concrete examples of the depth, okay. depth and breadth of what we're talking about when we say social teaching, right? Of the Catholic Ooh, social teaching. Yeah. What other what other topics did you explore? Um, we've had an approach here on all four of our conferences. They're, they're biannual, uh, missing mm-hmm. a year for COVID. Uh, of being practical. Uh, the American, <laughs> we're known at the Vatican for being very practical, maybe too much so, so we don't <laughs> like the theoretical. Uh, so every one of our conferences is trying to address something very practically where something can be done as a result of it. Uh, and we bring in people who, who are experts in their field to identify, and we challenge them to come up with new ways and new, new approaches. Uh, and all of these are then presented back at the Vatican, uh, in many cases of the Holy Father. And some of them are then implemented through, like, I won't go into those details, but some of them are implemented and shared within the church as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing uh, John Paul asked us to do, one of the, in fact, it was the second thing he asked us to do after promoting the knowledge and practice of Catholic social teaching, is he said he would like to promote a dialogue not speeches, but a dialogue between the Vatican Curia and lay Catholic leaders. He wanted mm-hmm. that. He wanted that to happen. Uh, in the states, we've 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 really we've done that by inviting key people over. We've had the president of Cor Unum come and give a series of talks and 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 dinners. Uh, we've had the Secretary of State of the Holy See address us four times now, uh, and and every time uh, we're we're always impressed that he. He speaks on the record, but very frankly. Uh, we've had his assistant, the Secretary for Relations with States, come to us three times. Uh, the Nuncio Permanent Observer to the UN, we've, we've worked with over 12 times for talks. 
the pontifical, uh, the president of the Pontifical Council for Social Communications has been through and addressed us. The secretary uh, or the, the, the vice chair for the Council for the Economy came and actually spent a week on a tour explaining Pope Francis' administrative and financial changes. Uh, so we're trying to also facilitate that dialogue, the number two goal that, that John Paul gave us of, mm-hmm. of a conversation with the Vatican leaders. And those are open. Uh, these aren't closed events. They're all open. Uh, we've, we've hosted a program that included the, uh, the head of the FBI's uh, human trafficking uh, division uh, and 21 and the UN Nuncio uh, on human trafficking. That was sponsored mm-hmm. by CAP and trying to talk about what the UN, the US and New York City as three very local places, uh, as a locus of places where this can be addressed. So I, I, I feel like I'm rambling a bit, but that's uh, some of the things we've done. Uh, no, we, I must tell posted... you, Bob. I... Yeah, I'm it, sorry. I'll stop. It's not. It, no, 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 no. It's it, not. No, no. It's not. It's not rambling at all. It's. It. I think it, it gives a a very comprehensive uh, antipasto to the meal. Right? <laughs> that this I like is that. the. the Right. These are the issues that the church speaks about in a very comprehensive and authoritative way. And, you know, most Catholics in the public square are being buffeted by a thousand different opinions, philosophies, pundits. But the church has a guiding voice in this. And just just from the, what you've spoken about, I mean, these are issues that are, are just so basic and so far, and we hear it in p- political discourse in the United States. We hear our elected leaders talk about it. When most Catholics, I I would say, don't necessarily have the knowledge of what the Church says about all of these topics. And it's extraordinary. And Cap's point is to help them to know that, right? Is that a fair way of putting it? That is a fair way of putting it. Um, uh, we we have that double goal of of trying to impact on key issues, while at the same time uh, promoting the knowledge and practice of Catholic social teaching by mm-hmm. by other mm-hmm. other leaders. Can I tell you a bit of a story out of school, maybe? You might enjoy this. Yes, of course. I love those sort of stories. Uh, Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we've been blessed. We've been blessed to meet with the Holy Father every year since our founding in 1993 uh, in, in private audiences and, and discussions. And the surprise one was after Pope Benedict resigned, uh, our meeting was scheduled for six weeks after Pope Francis was elected, and we assumed that meeting would be canceled, uh, and it wasn't. Uh, he did meet with us, and as as you're well aware, there's a lot of formality at the Vatican, and we were used to that formality. Uh, the president says something, the pope says something, it's all scripted. So our president of the foundation uh, stood up and started his address, and within two sentences, Pope Francis stopped him and said, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Everyone stopped, looked at each other. Uh, it's like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. And, and luckily, luckily, the president said, well, of course, Holy Father. And we were addressing the principle of solidarity. And this was, if you remember the timing, it was right in the middle of the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Father said to him, what does the principle of solidarity how can that inform and help us understand and get through this financial crisis? And our president at the time was a Spaniard who was uh, very senior in an insurance business. So he knew how to handle this and his, he gave the perfect answer. He said, Holy Father, can we get back to you on that? 
<laughs> and, uh, and quite honestly, we, we went off and started something called the Dublin process only because that's where the first meeting was held. And we, we, we ran a series of conferences over 12 months around the world, pulling together key economists and, and national leaders addressing that. Uh, the brilliance was somebody was able to take those hundreds and hundreds of pages of data, got it down to 10 pages. We reported it back to Francis, who read it and said, this is what I'm talking about. And then he asked that that be shared with all the nuncios and to all of his direct reports. So that's kind of a practical example of mm -hmm. uh, we didn't think we'd be doing anything the first year. And we got one of our biggest projects mm -hmm. from uh, the Holy mm -hmm. Father. Mm -hmm. You know, well, that's that's extraordinary. That's absolutely extraordinary. But, Bob, it also illustrates one important point that I think for, for, the, for the listeners who have been listening to Steve and I all these months, um, I think can appreciate. And that is, in all honesty, the presumption that the church's bishops and archbishops, the curial officials, um, the presumption that we're all conversant on the social teachings of the church and their application, uh, your story illustrates that that's not always the case and that we are learners as the laity are learners, right? Um, and that's and that's why CAP has an extraordinary role, right? I, it, it is. It's a very frustrating role, I have to admit it as well. Uh, what, what you've just stated probably has been our, and I think it was Pope uh, John Paul, St. John Paul's biggest frustration as well. Um, why do I say that? Starting in about 98, 99 and earlier, but he started calling it Catholic social doctrine. And he started using the term Catholic social doctrine interchangeably with Catholic social teaching. And by the way, that's something Benedict has continued to do and Francis continues to do, referring to doctrine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and as, as you know better than I, a doctrine requires a catechism. What is the doctrine? Mm -hmm. And John Paul started... Uh, what became the compendium of the church's social teaching. But his intention was not a compendium. His intention was a catechism. And, and I know this inside baseball story because one of the theologians he appointed to it uh, actually left in frustration after two years and came to the U.S. Uh, to Catholic University and became the dean of theology there and helped us uh, organize some things, shared the story that, that they couldn't agree on the doctrine. So they came up with the compendium, which was um, one of our biggest challenges is what is Catholic social teaching? What is it mm -hmm. without a doctrinal mm -hmm. document, without a catechism? Uh, right. So just as we launched our efforts in the U.S., we pulled back and spent the next four, four and a half years working with deans of theology and the Vatican to develop a normative canon. That's what's on our website. That's what was approved by our cardinal our then Bishop Laurie, uh, who was our, who was your predecessor, uh, mm -hmm. and approved at the Vatican. So our website and, and what we present as Catholic social teaching is based only on papal, only on magisterial teaching, uh, holy fathers and synods. But it took four and a half years for us to even come up with a document trying to do maybe uh, what the holy father, what Pope John Paul wanted, but we couldn't get, and and. So presenting what Catholic social teaching is was more of a challenge uh, than I thought when I took this on, for sure. Wow. Wow. When we come back from our break, though, I want to talk about politics, just to warn you, politics and social teaching.
That that should not be controversial at all. This is not the least. <laughs> this is let me be frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Bob Nalawajek of Cap USA, which Pope St. John Paul II established to promote Catholic social teaching. We will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency is speaking with Bob Nalawajek of CAP USA, talking about Catholic social teaching. And uh, Excellency, you had a, yes, you had a, a, a light question for him. <laughs> Yes, let's get a little controversial, shall we? <laughs> controversial in this sense, Bob, you, you and I have, you know, have spoken about this in other venues, but the, the church's social teachings, its social doctrine, should rise above politics. Um, what I mean by that is to say that politicians will engage the, the teachings to try to um, apply them Right, for the common good, if for no other reason. But what we see in the United States is that at times our partisan dialogue has become partisan bickering. And instead of there being a political discourse, there is warfare between political parties. And so I have seen, uh, and perhaps you see it differently, that when the social teachings of the church come forward, that there are these tendencies to hijack it to support a particular political agenda, a, pol- a political opinion, a political you know program. My sense, though, is that our teachings transcend or should transcend all. Engage them, but transcend them. So, how does a Catholic like yourself, who is so fervently and passionately a believer in the social teachings of the Church? How do you do? How do you engage the society and not fall into the trap of partisan politics? That is great, um, and, and clearly, as you said, Excellency, uh, it's it's a it's an issue 
facing us, direly facing us, I'd have to say. And it was one that John Paul recognized, St. John Paul recognized himself. Uh, literally five months before he died, we met with him. And he said the exact same thing you did just now. Uh, and I'll paraphrase it, but it's almost a quote. He said the social teaching of the church is more often quoted than understood. And he bemoaned the fact that it's used instrumentally uh, to advance one's position and ideological position rather than internalizing it and using it in its wholeness to advance the common good. That, that, that's, what, that's his last message to us. Um, mm. and, and you're absolutely right, because Catholic social teaching is not left or right. Uh, but, but there's warnings, if I can put it that way, to both sides of the political spectrum. Um, Catholic social teaching very quickly is based on three principles, uh, human dignity, solidarity, and subsidiarity. And it, what it does is Catholic social teaching seeks to apply, if I can, the essence of Christian moral principles to life and society. In itself, it is not an economic or political program. It's not. But it offers powerful ways of thinking about what the common good requires and how structures in society can either promote or undermine the common good and human well-being. So it's a, it's, it is the tool we're called to use, but you're right, it's used instrumentally. Uh, if I can, uh, uh, individuals on the right, if I can use that term, often latch on to the endorsement of Catholic social teaching of free markets, which it does, as the only economic principle that, that seems to promote affluence and they draw great comfort from that. And they touch on to the principle of subsidiarity, which says that, that uh, government responses to problems should be taken at the lowest efficacious level. But they forget about the evils of consumerism and proper business activities. Uh, and I think the fact that their brothers and sisters are just in dire economic straits. Uh, as Francis said, the first gift of the entrepreneur is not his money. Although that's important, he said, that's too little. The first gift is of you, your own person. Uh, individuals on the left, I think, are might be primarily focused on uh, the principle of solidarity, that we are all in this together. We are our brother's keeper. And they focus on the church's endorsement of the preferential option for the poor. Uh, I think these are individuals who have been enamored of government responses to social problems. And they ignore the clear call of Catholic social teaching for free markets, free politics, and subsidiarity. And, and the danger, if I can put it that way, for individuals on the right, people in business and the professions, proponents of capitalism, if you wish, I think is that they will fail to be evangelized by Catholic social teaching. While the danger to people on the left is that they'll miss the chance to properly utilize Catholic social teaching to evangelize. And, and in both cases, I think, they fail to implement Catholic social teaching in their lives. And they both run the risk of, I think, forgetting a key message of Catholic social teaching. And this is from Benedict, that it's clear that no economic, no social or political project can replace the gift of self to another. And Benedict said, he who does not give God gives too little. Wow. Is that well said? Yeah, it's well said. I, I, what I could simply add to that, if I may, and I would, I would love your reaction to it. I, I think, um, 
all the principles of Catholic social teaching need to be held in a creative tension so that they are self-correcting. Because if you choose one and forget the others, you will go into the extremes that you are describing. And part of what is missing in the United States is the willingness to engage into a dialogue that even if we have diametrically opposed preferences, just as you describe them, there isn't the ability to dialogue and find that, self, that correcting factor that takes the extremes and moderates them to a common middle. That seems to be missing. But that's precisely yes. in that middle is where all these principles find their, their, their true connection, right? They always have to be in dialogue. Is that a fair way of putting that, Bob, you think? That is, that, uh, Excellency, that's a perfect way to put it. Uh, I, I give an example. Uh, you, you remember Father Rick Ruscavich, uh, who passed oh, away yes. two yes. years ago. Uh, Rick was one of the world's experts in migration and immigration, as you know. Uh, he provided advice to the Obama administration during the child surge back then. He was giving uh, really quiet, off-the-record advice to the congressional committee. He was an expert, uh, totally. And he said exactly what you did, that the challenge he has is to not, especially with people in politics and now maybe everyone, is not to start from positions. Do not start from, this is my position, start from principles. That if we started the conversation on, can we all agree that human dignity, solidarity, and subsidiarity, these three key, all leading to the common good, can we agree on those principles, then then people of goodwill can disagree with prudential judgment. But he said, when you start with your position, the, the, the place for dialogue gets very, very narrow. So he attempted all the time to try and establish common principles and then discuss positions. Uh, I think that's part of the answer. Uh, but I think there's another piece to this. Uh, I think what's happening today is a bit more insidious than that, uh, if I may. Uh, yes, please. Uh, and and let me, it's here. Uh, I, I go back to the prescience of St. John Paul. Uh, and, and if I can, let me share something he said uh, almost 30 years ago, 1991. Mm -hmm. And he said that authentic democracy, that's his word. He defined it as authentic democracy. He said is possible only in a state ruled by law on the basis of a correct view of the human person. He went on to say that nowadays there's a tendency to claim that agnosticism and skeptical relativism are the philosophy and the basic attitude which correspond to democratic forms of political life. He said, those who are convinced that they know the truth and firmly adhere to it are considered unreliable from a democratic point of view, since they do not accept that the truth is determined by the majority or that it is subject to variation according to different political trends. Here's the kicker. It must be observed in this regard that if there is no ultimate truth, to guide and direct political activity, then ideas and convictions can easily be manipulated for reasons of power. As history demonstrates, a democracy without values easily turns into open or thinly disguised totalitarianism. I think he saw what was coming. We were beset with a radical secularism 
that that does not accept any truth. There's just my truth, your truth, uh, what one people mm-hmm. believes, what one nation believes. Nothing is objectively true. And John Paul identified that in the face of that, democracy easily turns into thinly disguised totalitarianism because without that basis in truth, how can we have a dialogue? How can we have a dialogue if we don't agree on the central premises and radical secularism, which I think we're beset by and the church has identified as one of the, the four pathologies facing modernity. Uh, and Benedict was, was very vocal on that, as is Pope Francis. Uh, so while you're right, we have to get to principles, the principles assume a, that there is a truth. And, right. and that, that, that can truth be found objectively. Yes. Objectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Catholic social teaching represents part of that truth. As John right. Paul said, it's accessible through through just human uh, human wisdom and reason. Uh, right. So I think I think we're in a we're, I think we're in a dark place right now, personally. Yeah, and I, I would agree. insofar as there there is there is this general growing presumption that there is no objectivity to truth, in part because if there were then there is an objective standard that I need to judge my conduct against. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Right. So, but but the truth is, but but it seems to me that we're coming to the point where the average person, whether they are a Christian or not, is beginning to see the logical consequence of of the anarchy that we are describing. And they are beginning to sense a deep-seated rebellion against it. I agree. I agree. So uh, I think there may be light somewhere in this gathering darkness, because if we're built in a certain way, the human, the, the natural law, our human nature is built in a certain way. You can only deny its purpose and and, and its destiny for so long until you either get crushed, or rebel. And I think at this point, and I'll give you an example of what I mean, Bob. The population of our schools it now has gone up two years in a row. This past year, it's gone up 10%. But we have discovered only in the last few months is that a significant amount of parents have come into our schools, not because of COVID, but because they're rebelling against the curriculum they have found in public schools, right? Because they do not accept the logical consequences of what's being taught to their children. And that's what I mean. I think the, the, I'm hoping and praying that there will be this growing sense that we're on a freight train that's going in the wrong direction. And I don't have to be on the freight train. I can get <laughs> off. Right? <laughs> I, 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 yes. I, I, think, I think the journey of how this will solve itself will be very, very interesting over the next few years. But... Uh, if I can, uh, Pope Benedict actually provided a very specific answer uh, to what we're talking about. Uh, it, it, again, I'll quote him because he said, quote, what does it mean in practical terms to promote moral truth in the world of politics? That was his question. And he answered it by saying it requires three things. And I think that's the three things required of all Catholics. He said, number one. It means acting. It means acting in a responsible way on the basis of an objective and integral knowledge of the facts. 
he was basically saying, how can you insert yourself into political questions if you don't, in a responsible way, and in an objective way, understand the issue in some depth? Mm-hmm. He said, number two, it means deconstructing political ideologies, which end up supplanting truth and human dignity in order to promote pseudo-values under the pretext of peace, under the pretext of development, and under the pretext of human rights. Deconstructing ideologies is the second goal. And he said, third, which is probably uh, beyond uh, even my understanding, it means fostering an unswerving commitment to base positive law on the principles of natural law, which is a whole nother debate. But I think his first two points of what does it mean for Catholics to promote moral truth in the world of politics, which, by the way, we are called to do. We must, Catholics must be involved in politics. I mean, Pope Francis has probably been the most clear on that. He called politics the highest form of charity. Uh, and Catholic social teaching is a form of charity. And that took me aback uh, when Pope Francis said that. But he said, politics is involved with promoting the common good. And what higher form of charity is there than that? So we have Francis really saying we must involve ourselves in politics. And I think Benedict explaining what that means in practice before we do. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there is a way forward. And I think copying yeah, both is. of those may be it. There's one other insight that I, that kind of is marinating in my mind, if I could use that phrase. And that is the average person may not realize that secularism is in shares many characteristics with other org, with other organized religions oh boy. but in fact is a religious set of beliefs it is not it, it, it is a set of beliefs that animate the a world view of the person community a relationship with ultimate value and most people leave consciously traditional organized religion let's say, the Catholic faith, not realizing that they're entering into another organized religion, which they don't recognize to be such. Oh, absolutely. It's no, diff- it's no different being an agnostic or being an atheist, for even atheism is a form of religious, if I could use that in a very loose way, belief that you believe there is no God. You don't know there is no God. You believe there is no God. So one believes that Mm. I am the center of truth. One does not know that because there is no objective way to verify that. You're just (laughs) acting as if this is the truth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure if you saw uh, uh, Cardinal Gomez, I believe, uh, basically made made that same observation just recently. Uh, He said that that with the breakdown of a Judeo-Christian worldview and the rise of secularism, he said political belief systems based on social justice or personal identity have come to fill the space that Christian belief once occupied. And we need to understand that the pseudo-religion is an attempted replacement to and rivals traditional Catholic and Christian beliefs. Uh, and, 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 and it provides people an explanation of, and a worldview, uh, but it's a distorted one. Uh, absolutely. It, yeah. it takes on right. it takes on elements of religion, as you said, uh, totally. And yeah. I think Benedict recognized that as well. And I would think for, for those who are listening to our conversation, like anything else, being true Americans, 
we're going to adopt that which seemingly bears the greatest fruit. So, objectively speaking, for those who have thrown themselves into secularism with both feet, and they look at the consequences of that, they have to ask themselves the question, well, are the fruits worth remaining in this system? And I would think both existentially, personally, um, the anxiety, the fears, the rancor, the discord, the division that's being caused by the very premises of, of this secularism should cause people to, to pause and say, is it worth it? Uh, oh, is, is, this, is this all there is? Because exactly. the answer is no. There isn't. Exactly. There isn't. And, and Catholic social teaching is, the, I would think, is the application of, of the revelation who is Jesus Christ in the lived context of our human life, right? And yes. the fruits are different. So, so I guess my simple message is, you know something by its fruits. Compare the fruits and see <laughs> which gives you a better return. Yeah. If I could be so no. utilitarian, <laughs> I mean, no. I don't know. Maybe uh, it's me. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely, that is absolutely true. Uh, John Paul, again, I think uh, referred to our founder, but a brilliant man. He recognized that 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 culture is the most important aspect of what makes up society: uh, economics, politics, and culture. And he also recognized that culture's downstream from morality and morality's downstream from religion. And, and reflecting on his insight, uh, I, I thought about major religions because my own faith story took me to understand and study a lot of them. Uh, it, 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 at the heart of every religion, two questions are answered. Why am I here? Where am I going? I think every mm -hmm. religion answers that to include the... Uh, the, the rival salvation narrative of uh, secularism. Uh, Christianity says, why am I here to know, love, and serve God and my neighbor? Where am I going to a wonderful next life if I do the first part well? How does secularism answer those questions? Why am I here? No reason. Where am I going? Nowhere. What That's culture the point. does that lead to? What's it lead to? Uh -huh. it, leads to it leads to what we're seeing now, dysfunction and tribalism. Uh, uh, a divided world uh, into innocents and victims, allies and adversaries. It's uh, there's no there there once it starts to, uh, when once this rival salvation narrative is understood. I think you're right. There's there's light at the end of the tunnel, but it's up to us to expedite the move to that. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's again, it, it's just the way I'm put together. So. For the psychologists who are listening, forgive me. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I have heard many a person in my wanderings of ministry say, well, you know, I just want to do good. And I want to know that I've made a difference in somebody's life. And that is noble, right? But when you, when you are, are, you know, not able to sleep in the middle of the night and you're alone with your thoughts, the truth is, that person you fed today will be hungry tomorrow if we don't actually address the systemic issues. And you can't address the systemic issues until you recognize there is a commonality among us, right? That's the origin, the foundation of a common good. And you can't, uh, uh, you can't, 
You cannot discover that common good if the only creed you live by is my life is all about me. So in the end, and not to be so harsh, but in the end, the, secu- the secularism that seems to be beguiling so many people in so many ways okay, is really untenable if people would sit long enough to ask the two questions you just raised. It may provoke a crisis, but it may also provoke a real opening for what you are doing in CAP and what the church is teaching to give people of goodwill a real alternative. Amen. Let's stand for the creed. You know, if, if I had to put a summary, if I had to give a summary of what is Catholic social teaching about? Yes, please. It's, it, it's, it's to have Catholics form their consciences on its principles so that they may change, we may change our own lives first and then change the world, I think. Because uh, Catholic social teaching is not a theory. It is, quoting John Paul, above all else, a basis and a motivation for action. And mm-hmm. that action is, is, is aligning the gift we've been given, the principles of Catholic social teaching and all the things that flow from that, to put to the good of the, to put to the common good. And the way to do that, quite frankly, uh, is through politics. And I'll just have to reaffirm that. Uh, Catholics must be involved in politics, and Pope Francis is the biggest adherent of that that call and that cry. Uh, but before we do, I think we need to follow Benedict's advice, but also challenge ourselves. We have to mm-hmm. challenge ourselves in a way that that was uh, basically, I think, the approval of the prevailing wisdom is not the criterion to which we submit ourselves. And yeah, I think and I'll give often, an amen to that. Yeah. Too often we separate our Christian faith from its ethical requirements. And I think and and we thus fall into moral subjectivism and even objectionable ways of acting. Uh, And and uh, we we got to stop doing that. Right. Well said, Bob. You do great work, Bob. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. And and today has been so uh, clarifying for me and uh, and I'm sure for many of our listeners. Uh, Let's take one more quick break. This is Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bob Nalawajic has been with us today talking about Catholic social teaching. So we'll be right back after the break so that Bishop Frank can answer a listener question. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here is the question which I know I personally can relate to. Okay, Bishop Frank, is it a Mm -hmm. sin to swear or use bad language? Ah, what a great question. <laughs> and, and actually, it's a simple question, but it's actually a fairly complicated question. Because when you speak of swearing or when you speak of bad language, you're not actually speaking of the same thing. Like any misuse of the name of God is, all right, certainly sinful. It breaks one of the commandments, right? And that, that has to be avoided by people of faith. Right, that is the behavior that is always unacceptable because it is sinful. To use bad language, there's another element there. 
you know, when we say bad language, we are talking about certain words that could be coarse, crude, the words that at one time were considered unacceptable, but now you even hear them on television, which I find quite amazing, hmm. right? Um, they give offense to others. And to the extent that they give offense to others, or they mischaracterize the beauty of the body, or the, the processes that involve the human body, <laughs> or the human person, right? They are, that, that is all inappropriate, and therefore, to the extent that gives offense, it is sinful. Because we're meant to build up the community of, of around us, not to tear it down or scandalize it or divide it, right? Or not misuse the gift God has given us, which is our own body, right? So in, in many ways, you know, my mother used to say it's bad manners to use bad language. But it is bad manners. And an educated person should not speak that way. But there is a sinful aspect to it if you give harm or offense or you tear down a community or you cause division, right? So before, we, when we stub our toe, before we open our mouth, we should consider what's going to come out of it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? Amen. Jesus said we'll render uh, an account for every careless word we said, so. Oh, we're, we're doomed. Steve, <laughs> you and I are doomed. <laughs> uh, if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Thank you also, uh, Bob Nalawajek, for the very good work you're doing and for joining us today to shed clarity and light on such an important topic. Steve, thank you very much for the invitation and excellency. Uh, Thank you for inviting me. Well, Bob, it was a pleasure, and, and I very much enjoy our, our working relationship with CAP. And again, I think we should d- direct people to the CAP website. Would you do that, Steve, just to make sure? Because yes. I think people will find it extraordinarily helpful. Yes, so let me spell it out. It's C-A-P-P-U-S-A.org. Right, Bob? That's it. Thank you. All right. Great. Uh, well, excellent. listen, Bob, Merry Christmas to you, and a happy and a healthy new year. And to you, Excellency. Thank you. And and, and as well to you, Steve. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Likewise. And Your Excellency, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, shine his face upon you, and grant you his mercy and peace. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 See you next week, my friends. Steve, Bob, I will see you soon. Steve, I'll see you next week.